Jeremiah was in prison when he spoke those words. Uh, you may not have guessed that. The uh, sound of the words are very free. But if you look back at the beginning of the chapter, out of which these verses are plucked, you will see that it says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still confined in the court of the guard. It's strange that this weeping prophet uh, finally was offering hope. Um, and strangely enough, when the worst was yet to happen, it was inevitable that Jerusalem was doomed. Jeremiah had offered many prophecies of judgment in order to hopefully adjust some of the decision-making that was occurring in the king's quarters, but also among the leaders of the temple. In fact, it was his prophecies of judgment that got him into trouble in the first place and had him placed in prison. This is often the way it is with prophets. Nations do not know what to do with them. Babylon was the issue, and it had already captured the city once before. Babylon was this enormous militaristic power that was just to the north and the east of this small country that we refer to as Israel, Judah and Israel there. And as Jeremiah was observing, he was observing the politics of his day at play. You may do that yourself, observing what's going on around you. And I bet you have an opinion. If you haven't, you need to call in to sound off and let somebody know. <laughs> Babylon had already captured the city once. When they came in, the king Jehoiakim was in place from the Davidic line. It had been 400 years, but they saw this king as being a continued fulfillment of God's promise that there would always be a Davidic king on the throne in this, in, in this, in this area, which was so blessed that we call it Holy Land. But it's interesting how things will change because when Babylon came in, they were coming in for the purpose of making changes, adjustments, as they would have called it. And they placed Zedekiah in place of Jehoiakim. And Zedekiah was a puppet king for them. They left thinking, okay, we've got our man in place now. And surely it seemed that way at first, but then this nationalistic fervor began to build once again in Israel. And Zedekiah saw himself as the king and lord that he was to the point that he made a faithful error. He began to listen to the yes people that were there near him. And he began to take up the banner against Babylon, this great and ferocious beast he did not see the inabilities of that small country of which he was a part to fight off Babylon's attack once more. This situation is fascinating from a historical point of view 
Because not only was Israel paying attention to where Babylon and what Babylon was doing, but there also was this great monster down below, just south of Israel, whose name you know well, Egypt. Because Egypt and Babylon were in a balance of power at this time. When Babylon got tired of Zedekiah, Babylon rallied by Nebuchadnezzar. Those armies were sent in once again toward this precious land. And when Egypt saw what was going on, they rallied forces and came, it looked like, to the rescue of Israel. Oh, that's the way in which Zedekiah read it. And all of those that were in support of his politics, it looked as if God himself had stood in the gap and had protected them from this ferocious beast, Babylon. And yet, the siege, even though it was waylaid for a few months, Jeremiah could see it building, even when no one else could see it. And when all the armies were readied, Nebuchadnezzar marched them into Jerusalem and destroyed everything in sight, even burning the temple. Can you imagine how they felt? It was a devastating, a devastating event. These words that were read this morning, not only in the lighting of the first candle on this Advent wreath, but also just a few moments ago, are plucked from a passage of scripture that strangely enough is entitled The Little Book of Consolation. And it does seem like that when you read through chapter 31 through 33, that these words of encouragement are taken from Jeremiah. But it would behoove us to understand what was going on because when Jeremiah was in prison and was stating the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promises I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah in those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. Babylon had not even made it into Jerusalem its second time. Everything was in place and Jeremiah as the prophet was seeing what was inevitable. This scripture has been co-opted by we who are followers of Christ as the perfect scripture for Advent and the beginnings of this time of reflection. I've got a question for you. Are you ready for Christmas? I found myself asking somebody that question on Friday of this week and then my, my questioning caught in my throat as I began to think, what are you asking for? Because their response was the same that all of us do. Why, I'm getting there. Um, how are you doing? Are you ready for Christmas? And I thought to myself, why is this conversation even happening? I wasn't ready at all for Christmas. I had not put up a single ornament on a tree. I had not done the decorating. I have not bought the presents. Don't tell Suzette. <laughs> I'm not ready in that way. But there's another readiness. And I said somewhat 
pastorally, I said, I'm getting there in my soul, you know. Doesn't that sound like a preacher? The countdown, I tell you, it, get, get, it gets its hold on us. So many days left until Christmas and we begin to imagine time running out on the significance of this. Is the elf on the shelf? I imagine, well, he could be. I found in just a recent observing of another sort of celebration of the season, some encouragement. Do you know that there's a replacement for the concept of elf on the shelf now? And it has to do with straw in a manger where the parents and the children will add pieces of straw to the manger over the course of the celebration of Advent whenever they will do a work of justice or righteousness. Now that is an idea I can live with and one that Jeremiah, I think, would say kudos to. Advent is anything but a countdown. That has nothing to do with it. It is a season of deep reflection on our lives and on the world. It is still such an irony to me that such damage could be done to a place called paradise. Have you thought on this? Paradise, California, destroyed by fire just a couple of weeks ago. The fire's coming in. Even though there might have been some that expected it, there were few that did because they had built homes right in that space and they were having problems escaping. The devastation is still in our minds, in our hearts, and now the rains to do injury even further. The rains and the mud, the charcoal that rolls into the streets. How far does this go? And what in the world does a community do? Some of you know that on Sunday mornings, I pull in here to the, to the parking lot just in the nick of time for the 845 service, wheeling in on two wheels to the calm presence of Stephanie and Wendy who have been here many hours before that. And this morning I found them breathless at having been at a task that I had not anticipated. They had anticipated it and I've been in on the cleanup before myself but I hadn't thought about it. We had a deluge of rain last night. And even though we have this beautiful roof that is going on above us, it doesn't solve the problems. The trustees have got to get onto another issue because it is dire. And that is that when rain falls on our building, it falls then to the ground, which then collects at the edges of our building and pours into our hallways which is what happened this morning. And shop vac and mops were busy in the hands of Wendy and Stephanie, angels of this church. I didn't see it coming. Just as no one in Jeremiah's day except himself 
could have predicted the circumstances that would occur in Jerusalem. The days are coming when I will fulfill the promise, says the Lord, that I made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. What are you speaking words of hope to me in the midst of this? Have any of you ever been hopeless? Have you ever been in a place where you were so downstruck by the events of your life or the events of the world that you could hardly get your breath, that you were shaking from fear? If you don't think this happens, let me tell you, it does. And it is a terrible, terrible place to be. To speak a word of hope is a thing of grace. And Jeremiah spoke. Even a word that was nonsense to those that heard it because they did not see themselves in need of hope. I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Just over a year ago, we had trees removed in the Parsonage lawn where we reside. And it's a good thing because some of these winds could easily have blown those trees over onto the house. And so that's a good thing. But in the midst of this and our walking around the yard to observe what a good job the woodman had done, we all of a sudden realized that something was different. A couple of years ago, Sue and I had, had brought a sapling from the front yard of her parents. It had volunteered there under a beautiful tree that we hoped would beautify the backyard at the parsonage. And we had put it there and we're watching it closely as it grew to a height of about 12 feet. And it was fascinating to us to think about this becoming quite a sight in the future. But as we observed following the taking down of those large pine trees, we realized that is not the same tree that we planted. And come to find out that a large limb had fallen right on top of our little tree. And in an effort to fix it, I don't think that the guy was ever gonna tell us. I think he was hoping we would not recognize the difference. <laughs> but this is a different species of, of tree that is up there now. And, and I, I wanted to take a saw and cut the thing down. Um, I thought better and I thought, let's give it a chance too. And so this new tree is growing in that spot ever to remind us of what should have been there. It was in the spring, it was in the spring that I was checking that new tree out and all of a sudden I realized that the sprigs of the other tree were rising from its roots. And I thought, what a fitting end to this. And as those sprigs grew up, Sue and I began making plans 
And two weeks ago, we dug all of those up and put about a half dozen of them around the back edges of the property. It is the hope that we will see more than we ever imagined to see. How is it that Christ comes into our world? He gives to us an Advent hope in such an unexpected way. He does not come as a king or politician working his angle through power plays upon the world. He comes as the Lord of righteousness and justice. Those two words are offensive to some people in our country today. The idea of justice is something that's suspect. Let me tell you to get over it because this is the calling card of we who are Christian, who are followers of Christ. How is it, in fact, during this season of Advent that we can instill that hope, the hope of righteousness, the hope of justice in our community and in the world? Christ, I tell you, continues to come in unexpected ways. Even when he came for baptism to John the baptizer, there ensued this conversation. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him, and John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way. Can you remember the words? To fulfill all righteousness. And with his first sermon that we remembered in worship a couple of weeks ago, the Beatitudes, where Jesus is blessing the poor and those who mourn and those who are meek, do you also remember that Jesus blessed those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Is this a part of your Advent? Are you satisfied with the question, are you ready for Christmas? May this be a deep time for us all. For Christ is the unexpected one. Surely, he is the Lord of righteousness.